Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. My life is a spike with pain and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Somber, sweet and sour, Jane, and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Pleasure spike with pain. Hi, Sushi. Hi, Smishy. How are you today? I'm good. I'm tired. It was a long week. It was such a long week. And then we got up so early to do this today. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's a joy. For sure. Well, Smishy, what are we talking about today? What was on your mind? I know last week we talked a lot about what I wanted to talk about, but I kind of wanted to hear what was on your radar. Well, I think one of the things that I've been thinking a great deal about is our theme, quest for world peace. Mm. I find myself pondering things when something's on my mind. I'll ponder it throughout my days um, unconsciously. Do you ever do that? Yes. And it's kind of like your conscious mind and your subconscious mind are working together to help unfold something where You may have some aspects of the picture, but not the whole picture. Mm. And the thing that keeps resurfacing is this concept of change. And we have to make changes if we're ever going to attain world peace. And I think on our podcast, the frame of mind is what I'm interested in. Because if we don't have a frame of mind that's already there, How in the world can we actually get involved with movements that lead towards world peace? I mean, I don't think one comes before the other necessarily. What do you mean by frame of mind? So often we do things mindlessly and it's somebody else's goal for us or it's a theoretical goal. And yet we haven't changed our frame of mind. And so we're following a method or a system without actually participating in it personally. Mm. And that's why so many things start and don't come to completion. You know, we've had so many fantastic uh, world initiatives in life, in my lifetime, so many initiatives I've been aware of. And Dr. King's dream and the United Nations being built and the League of Nations before that. And even I had the privilege of being in New York at uh, Mohonk Mountain, where this castle is that got burned down in an era, and then they rebuilt it, and then it became a hotel, which is still there. And I don't know if it's still there, but on the third floor and on the first floor, there were these life-size photos. It was like a World Congress of leaders. It was the predecessory to the League of Nations. That's right what preceded the League of Nations, which led to the UN. And all of them are so extraordinary. But in this photo, you see the leaders of the world of that day in New York together discussing. You can see um, notes of it. And what's incredible to me is their mission was supposed to be these major footprints from leadership 
towards world peace. But what happened is if you read the notes of the speeches of the leaders, they were actually talking about why it's so difficult to get to world peace. Mm -hmm. So they were articulating all the blocks to world peace. And I was like, wow, (laughs) it could have happened so readily then. Wait, but I, I still don't get it. I get the part that we're followers and that we don't personalize it, but what would be like do frame of mind as individual to each person is what you're saying? A connection or a commitment to the goal, mm. a belief in the goal. I mean, we have to work on ourselves. It may not be like snap your fingers, broad brush. Yeah, I'm there. We have a lot of things to work through before we get to a spiritual world peace. I'm not talking about that. But if these leaders never believed world peace was possible, that's what the outcome was then. So we have to work on ourselves first. So you're saying that everybody has to believe in it first. I'm saying we have to at least believe in our footprints and that together it leads to that. I'm not saying we know the answers first or that we believe in a kumbaya world peace. But yes, I think we have to hold it as the ultimate reality. If we don't even think it's possible, how can we make it a reality? You know, if we don't even see that footprints lead to change. And that's why I started to think about why do we fear change? If change is why we're here, evolution is change, getting better, then we really have to get behind one, why do we fear this change? And like, have you, Smishi, have you ever personally resisted change? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it reminds me of the conversation we had last week about how a lot of people don't ask questions mm-hmm. and they don't because they belong to something. And there's the fear that if you ask too many questions and whatever you belong to no longer fits into your personal frame of mind, so to speak. Mm-hmm then you won't belong there anymore. And where will you go then? You know, whether it be your church or your school or your friend group. Also, it's comfort. I think we're such creatures of comfort. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And oftentimes, the path towards change is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that scares people. I think it's connected to fear. I do too. I think it's connected to fear of loss. Mm, Yeah. And in a way, you are losing something. But I think that we don't realize that you're losing something for and gaining something greater. That's the thing that we don't believe in, is that whatever will come after that will be better. Yes. Like losing your baby teeth. Mm -hmm. You lose your baby teeth. If you didn't know, you'd be just terrified because now you'll have new teeth <laughs> in your belief system. Totally. <laughs> and or even like asking for a raise. You know, I know so many women, especially that don't ask for a raise and just stay in the same job and are miserable, not knowing that they could ask for more. Or ask for anything. Yeah. You know, we're afraid that the consequences will be a greater loss than we're already experiencing. 
Yeah, and I feel like on some level, society encourages that because it feels like a bigger mm-hmm. power that doesn't want us to change. Can you say more about that? Well, I feel like every system that's been designed currently serves a very small percentage of people. And I think that those percentage of people that are benefiting from these systems that don't work for the majority don't want to let go of their power. And so I feel like a lot of the sentiment around bigger themes, like when it comes to the media or larger corporations who create certain products or whatever is kind of condones not changing. It kind of brings you back to this familiar, like, this is where we are. This is, we've always been here for you. Yeah, like that meeting, why we can't have world peace. Yes. There's always information why this change is not a good time. Yeah. I mean, it's like age-old things. And I feel like the rhetoric changes, but the intention behind it doesn't. Like the uh, the messages don't. The wording changes and evolves more, but the actual messages don't. It's still like about security. You know, it's like, what brings America security? But even in like what you're just saying, security for whom? Right. You know, so that the real message is for those minority few, rare few, who it's benefiting. The majority are already in a state of disequilibrium, not getting what they need, um, not feeling welcomed or not a place to participate and also prosper. The message is change will be worse than what you already are dealing with. Yes, exactly. But that doesn't, it doesn't make sense because how could it get worse than it already is? I mean, anything would be better than it already is, anything. There's this television show I really love. It's like the only TV show I've ever understood why people watch a whole series. This Is Us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know me too well. I love it so much because everything is so brilliantly laid out and real and authentic rather than fabricated and dramatized. And there's this game that these two, that this couple that they play, Randall and Beth, and the game is like when something is happening, they allow each other to catastrophize, to decompress. So it's like, okay, you go. And then he says his biggest fear about this situation, what could happen? And then he empties out and then he says to her, you go. And she catastrophizes and they just keep going until they're empty. And I think that uh, that's what happens, but it's really funny. In the last episode where they played that game, I think he's the one who said, we got to find another game. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's where we're at. I think, you know, we're just worried. We catastrophize internally. Well, if I say this, like you're saying, asking for a raise, or if I make my needs known, I'm going to rock the boat in this relationship. Or if I say this isn't working for me, like, oh, then I'll have nothing. It's about loss. Yeah. It's always about losing, Mm -hmm. losing something and then not having trust 
that something better will come along or that I think it's that interim period that people are really afraid of. And I'm saying that because I've experienced that. It's that in-between period like, well, if I let go of this, even if this is bad, at least I know what it is. And it's better than letting go of this and then being in the complete unknown. Like, what if it gets worse than this? Yeah, like that phrase, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. I think we kind of live by it unconsciously all the time. But, you know, I'm wondering, Sushi, I think I've shared this with you before, I'm sure. But I think about it a great deal. And that's when the Dalai Lama was asked, if you could sum up human happiness in one word, what would it be? And he didn't even have to ponder it. He replied instantly, of course, routine. Mm. And so I think about it a lot because I wonder if there are advantageous routines that serve yourself and those around you and humanity, but if also some routines are just an example of belief systems we're trapped in. Mm, Definitely. Because it's our routine. You know, like when I lived in New York and you walk by so many homeless people sleeping on the sidewalk as you're walking into a restaurant. What do you mean? How can you eat your meal and not be thinking about the people who aren't eating right outside that window? And so it gets me to think about how many things are in our human cultures. Like, what if we thought of ourselves as just stop being so individualized for a moment and spent part of our day contemplating, what do I contribute to earth culture? Like right away, it would be that change, that one simple thing. How do you do that? I mean... I get it. It sounds so lofty and amazing to think that way, but that wouldn't even cross my mind unless there was some kind of catastrophe that was happening. And I was like, okay, how could I come to the help of this? But to be proactively thinking about, I mean, I guess in some ways that could come up in terms of like an environmental footprint, but what's the incentive for people to do that? And what would be the context in which they would? I mean, if we don't have enough warning signs right now, then we're like a frog in boiling water. And we're just acclimating and and not jumping out of the pot that's about to cook us. So how do you do that, Smishi? What is it like? How do you think about that on a daily basis? Well, I think about um, my actions and I think about my intentions behind my actions And I think about what my ultimate hope would be in terms of making connection. For example, you know, when you and I were in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. one thing that floored me is that I've been in New Orleans before Katrina, before the hurricanes, before the damage. And there was a very different culture. And what I noticed this time is What if I said gentler and more helpful are constants in the culture? They're ever-present. Whether someone is an Uber driver, whether somebody doesn't matter, there isn't the same disconnection because people had to help people to survive. 
Everyone was in the same boat. And so I think it changed the culture radically from tragedy, like you said, with barring a tragedy. But, you know, when I was sharing that when I came home with um, my friends here, they said, oh, if only Chicago would have such a tragedy. And I was like, you guys, no, it's not the only way. Yes, it always works. My calamity is my providence. It, It always works. It wakes us up. But do we really need that in order to take one stable footprint? And Smishy, that's what I've been considering. Stability is actually, instead of fear of loss, not making random changes, not making radical changes from catastrophes, stable change. And if we just got into the frame of mind of one stable step. That's why anything, when you ask me, what do I do? I do think of the earth every single day. Why? It's my home. Hmm. It's because it's my home and it's not doing well. So I always think if I have that intention, then the next time I hear about a new agency or organization rendering aid or assistance, whether it's to the environment or peoples or animals, I ask myself, is this for me to participate in? Hmm. Because we need so much help. So obviously, I'm not the solution, but I'm a footprint. Yeah, I get it. Mm -hmm. That's what I do personally. And I really think we've been doing, um, for example, spiritually, I hear a lot about consciousness raising, don't you? Mm-hmm. Like awareness, isn't that kind of a theme? And meditation is now widespread. It's accepted everywhere in businesses. You can even have a meditation room in a business. It's not weird anymore. Mm-hmm. But why are we always focusing on our self, self-awareness? Why don't we bring ourself, bring self to planetary awareness. That's all. That's all I'm saying. One stable step. Mm -hmm. Include the others. (laughs) What do you think that might look like? What are some current, modern, maybe I'd say accessible footprints? I mean, I think it's so personal. Like one of my favorite speakers said one time, like if you're lying on the couch of heedlessness, wake up. He's like, if you're awake on the couch, sit up. And if you're sitting on the couch, stand up. So I think it's just, it's not about like, you have to wake up and then go and run a marathon. It's just about taking that very next step for you and kind of knowing where you are in the grand scheme of it all once you have some kind of awareness or you are awake to it, then deciding what your intention is, like where you want to fit into it. You know, maybe you don't have a desire to help animals. Doesn't mean you don't love them, but maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you're more interested in people and not all people, but certain kinds of people, like marginalized people. And that becomes your focus. Or maybe you're, you know, you want to tackle the entire ocean or whatever. Exactly. But I think the secret is sustainability. 
we really need that stable change. And individually, if we just keep on reaching for another goal and another goal and another goal, and it's so fast, we lose our focus. We lose the reason why we're doing it. But I also feel like we've unfortunately gotten to a place where we're personally so impacted by the environment that a lot of us are struggling just to be in the environment. And I think that's maybe why that there's so much more of a self-focus because I feel like it's sort of turned into this survival survival culture almost like I just need to get through this day. Like how do I just manage getting through this day so you don't even have the it almost feels like a luxury to think outside of that. Hmm. If you don't have the greater awareness, if you're not tuned into what's happening, I think a lot of people are just figuring out how they'll get through it today. Isn't it like, though, coming from a family? You know, you have your own problems from the day you're born. A lot of them. Everybody has a lot of problems to deal with. But as we mature, we focus on what we need, but we cannot forget we're not there alone. So while we're focusing on ourselves, also, you know, when you're still a child, you're like, hey, mom, can I help you with that? I can do that after school. The more that's in your consciousness, it's not such a big deal to expand that. I think that they're, they're not mutually exclusive. I think we've been taught that they are. And I think it's just like, uh, for example, I have a lot of friends who are in recovery and 12-step programs, and they say the fastest way to heal yourself is help another, not help everybody, help another. And then if you're able to be a sponsor to someone, you might be able at some point to take on another and have another sponsee, or maybe you never will. It doesn't matter how much or how little. What matters is the focus. And that's how I think we do it, you know, and not devolve into everything being about ourselves alone. Although the wisdom and like what you're sharing, yeah, if you're in survival, take care of yourself first. But as you take care of yourself, you just learned all kinds of things that will probably help someone who's never known how to help themselves. You know, it's a natural thing. It's not something that needs to be institutionalized. Do you think so? Yeah, I do. Kind of like when you have a newborn baby, you're tired all the time. You're God awful tired. You're depleted. You're in new territory. Everything is disequilibrium for you and for the baby. But you don't want someone else picking up your baby. You still want to make that connection. You're just, I love you so much. And you're so amazing. And you're such a miracle. And even though I'm God awful tired, I still want to stare in your eyes for about 10 hours. Hmm. We need to find that kind of connection. We feel like that, that pride in our fellow humans progress. Like, oh, wow, look at you. Yeah, it's so true. You know, I think about when I was younger and I was investigating religions and how you see each prophet 
each manifestation of each religion brought, introduced something new to the world. It was so cool. It's like they all kind of like, each one brought a new piece. And when you look at the spiritual foundation of all the religions, they're all saying the same thing. The only thing that really changed were the social teachings. And it was like, do this, do that. And of course those changed because people have changed over time. You can't have the same sort of social teachings over the course of thousands of years. And I remember like realizing how like Abraham came and was like, you are a family unit. You know, this is a family like dad, you can't sleep with your daughter, you know, and he established a family unit, whereas before it was very, you know, everybody was everywhere. And then Christ came and said, love thy neighbor. And it was beyond your family unit. Now it was like, wait, you also have to love your neighbor, your community. And then Muhammad came and introduced city states and was like, no, it's it's not just about your neighbor, it's about your country, it's about your people. And then Baha'u'llah came and, and said, the world is one. And I feel like that's sort of where we're at. It's like we still haven't adapted into, I mean, we know it. And I feel like we're getting there, but it's such a rough road to get there. It's like the world is one, everybody is one. And we have that global thinking in some ways, you know, like the globalization of business. And we've been trying to get there, but there's still, it's still such a rough patch. Like the systems that are in place are still such an impediment to doing it smoothly or effectively or, or logically even. It's not logical. Mm -hmm. But, but as you were saying earlier, I love what you were sharing about our, progressive spirituality coming with each manifestation. And I think there are also physical applications to that growth, to those awarenesses. You know, when we start uh, as individuals and then we become a clan, you know, I think that was the Judaic dispensation, you know, created clans. Like you were saying, the progress to city-state to, I believe, I think Islam brought nationwide thinking and, and Baha'u'llah is like giving us this, not changing the picture, but an aerial view. But really, you're just on one planet. <laughs> yeah. You're actually one species. Here's the news. And I think because we're so afraid of that, like, what do you mean? I don't get to keep my clan. I don't, you know, I don't keep my identity. But fear of loss has really been the spearhead, ironically, or tragically, depending how you look at it, to oneness. Because business, uh, even like currency, right? Now we're looking into cryptocurrency. As we've battled for many, many years about the pound versus the dollar and the Deutschmark and the Frank, you know, we're now looking, well, that's not working. What would it look like if we had a universal currency? So I think we're exploring it so that everyone benefits because everybody wants that. Everyone's aware of it. So Smushi, have you noticed in your work or, you know, with your, in your observations about where the fear of loss comes from, like why it's so prevalent? Yeah, I, I you know, in my observation of people, I noticed that every one of us comes from survival histories and histories of 
trauma and suffering and loss. So we don't just inherit genetics. We also inherit these survival intelligences that have kept us alive, you know, all this time. The problem is that we're as beautiful as instincts and survival are and as much a necessity as they are. They're not why we're here. That's the beginning of why we're here. And I think that we trust survival and we don't trust evolution so that we prosper. But why? Why don't we trust evolution? Has evolution failed us before? No, it's because we've never thought that far. You know, when you put a puzzle together and you've got all the pieces, everything's perfect, but you just can't figure it out. You're just stumped. But if you take an aerial view and look at the pieces, it's real interesting. Now you know where the pieces go. Sometimes we just get so stuck in our little piece. Mm, So we've never zoomed out far enough to see. Right. And so it's, to me, so incredibly tragic is that the solution to all of our problems, whatever they are, medical, economic, you know, social, our problems will be solved if we work together because we all have different gifts. I mean, we've ironically been spending all this time Mm -hmm. examining and exploring and uncovering our personal gifts. You know, I just want to find myself. It's very common. But why? Why do you want to find yourself? You can't stop there. What do you get to do with it when you uncover your gifts? They belong in the world. And when you put us together, it fits perfectly. Especially, that's why you and I are friends. It's not because we're identical. It's because we have mutual mutually beneficial quality. Love when the other prospers. All we need to do is understand that's the way we're all designed, not just you and me. And so we haven't been taught that. In fact, the opposite. Don't talk to strangers. Don't wander off from home. I have several girlfriends who were disowned. They were disowned by their mothers, fathers, and siblings because they married outside their culture. What? All it does is strengthen the genetic pool, enliven it, refresh it, cancel out diseases that are inherent in that single culture. We're healthier when we're together. We prosper when we're together. The fear is that if we leave home, whatever your association with home is, it's the end, right? Isn't that what created even like the fear is what cultivated what happened in Germany with the Nazis is the fear, you know, trying to create the Aryan race is so paradoxical because if you had one race, they would die out. We need diversity to stay alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we need all of us. But, yeah. <laughs> and so that's the thing. So, I, you know, you can't back to your original tragic point you can't intermarry family members it does you no good and it does the species no good but uh, one of the things about this that I wanted to ask you is for yourself do you find that there are places that you keep longing to connect but others block you um it's such a broad question 
Well, like something that you're pursuing that you feel you're really called to do and others are trying to stop you from going in that direction. Yeah, all the time. Where do you think that comes from? People not knowing themselves and where their place is, so interfering in other places <laughs> to make themselves feel more important or powerful or whatever, but just not having a sense of knowing where their power is, like where their true place is. I notice when that happens, they usually are using fear in their launching. Mm. Like you better not do this or what, you know, what if you do this there? They're raising fears in you mm -hmm. so that you don't change. Yeah. The course of direction. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, right? I feel like that's the languaging, the big languaging too, coming from that the top percent of people who are benefiting from the majority. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, you know, we're familiar. We're always familiar with the past. We're not familiar with what hasn't happened yet. That's another reason that people try very hard. To just repeat the past over and over again. <laughs> and you know, another thing is, you notice how, like, the way we sell news now worldwide we sell news with drama, a dramatization of whatever happened, even if it's a simple event. We dramatize it. Mm -hmm. Hard to tell the difference between fabricated, man-created, inspired television drama and the news. Mm -hmm. They are one in the same. Yeah, And so I think we're much more comfortable with drama and to me, trauma is a red flag that we're nowhere near any of our common purpose because tragedies are not the same as drama. You know, tragedies happen. But for example, look what happened in, in Katrina. How many people came from all over to help? But drama is created. Is that the difference? Drama is created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are some people that are really good at creating it and they enjoy it. And they trust it. We trust drama more than we trust peace, more than we trust unity, more than we trust the love that opens up those portals to get there. Mm -hmm. I think it's just about reframing. It's like that one thing you once said that I, I know it really like reframed my brain where you were like, we were talking about war and I was like, well, they make so much money off war. And you're like, yeah, but world peace would make more money than war. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, why was that something that hadn't even been considered by me personally, that it would be more profitable than war? We just don't trust it. Sushi, that's what we've been taught. We've been taught not to trust whatever leads to world unity. It's not within our frame of, um, it's not in our wheelhouse almost. All that does is make a very select elite few wealthy and the rest suffer and be impoverished and deprived of one another when it is gifts and that are the remedy. Um, I, I always read about medical breakthroughs and what captures my attention is how long, how long their research had been already complete 
before it was accepted. There's a lot of forces that don't want that evolution of change. And so that's why a stable stance is the perfect antidote to that attack and assault. Just take one stable footprint, just in any direction, and we will get there. Well, Smichi, that's the perfect place to end this conversation. Thank you so much for all your insights. That was amazing. Love having these conversations. Yeah, it feels sort of tiring, but also galvanizing. So I hope that people feel galvanized and find their tribe, like like-minded people that are also want to do the same thing because that makes it so much easier than to be around people that are committed to not changing. And if not, if people haven't found their tribe yet, then be that. Become the tribal leader. <laughs> not to be all be the change you want to see, but be you and that brings the change you want to see. Then you meet others. Mm-hmm. So she it's always so amazing how no matter how many times we've spoken, it's a joy to have another conversation. Thank you, Smishy. Until next time. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>